If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. How about those kids singing? I loved it. I love the kids. Oh, to be young again. Oh, to have kids who are young again. Man, gliding swiftly along the tides of time so fast. I love seeing parents, teachers up front, Amy Mormon and Amelia Metcalf and Ashley Hightower. I was watching and thinking, wouldn't that be great for preachers to have some folks just doing this? Like, smile, smile, smile. Just to be prodded and encouraged. I, I could use that. So you guys, y'all do that today while, uh, while I'm preaching the word. We'll get to Ephesians 4 in a moment. A lot of you know that we are in a series, a series during Advent called The Movies of Christmas. We looked last week at the miracle on 34th Street. And at, before I tell you what we're looking at today, I'll just uh, quote from it. He hated the Christmas season. No one quite knows the reason. Could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. Could be his shoes were just too tight. The most likely reason of all, his heart was two sizes too small. Of course, this morning we are considering the Grinch that stole Christmas, huh? Written by Dr. Seuss, the great theologian, in 1957, uh, was of course put in book format, and then in 1966, it was animated for shortened television version on CBS. And in the year 2000, a lot of you know, in November of 2000, Jim Carrey hit theaters uh, with this Grinch that stole Christmas. Uh, the movie takes the viewer into a snowflake. Some of you went into a snowflake on Friday. But you go into a snowflake and you're immediately transported into Whoville. And of course, Whoville is inhabited by the Who's. And high above this city that is high on holiday spirit and Christmas festivities lives a hateful creature that we know as the Grinch. And the Grinch plotted and schemed to steal Christmas away from the little, we'll call them Houdats since we're this close to New Orleans, from those who, the little Houdats there. And Cindy Lou Who, remember the cute little girl? She wasn't even two because everything rhymes with Dr. Seuss. But Cindy Lou Who tried to reach and teach Grinch. But Grinch... Again, plotted and schemed. He had a purpose. In this movie, librarians and teachers have identified it as one of the most popular uh, picture books in, in history. And we know that it has become such a part of human culture, of our culture, that it's given a name. It's deeply embedded in our language. Do you know any Grinches? I mean, a Grinch is someone, um, as Dr. Seuss portrayed, someone who's bitter and resentful, they're ungracious, they're unwilling to forgive, they're unable to let go of the past. They assume the worst in others, they fixate on what is negative, and they play it in their mind over and over again. Do you know any Grinches? Yes. Well, listen, we love some amens, but hear me for a second, though. It is so easy. Uh, I join her, join you in saying amen because I know some. But here's what I want to say to you today. It's easy to hear a sermon like today through the lens of that person that maybe you've already thought of. That person that, I mean, this is just, this is cruel stuff, right? But they're bitter and they're resentful and they're ungracious. They're unwilling to forgive. They're unable to let go of the past. They assume the worst in others, fixate on the negative and play it over and over again. You can think of that somebody possibly, the Grinch, that's stealing your joy and sucking the life out of you this season or any season. But I want you this morning to think through the lens of you. Hear this sermon and regard your very own heart. 
it says, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, one of the inner circle guys, he said this in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let me just drop the truth there. And here's what I know. I haven't met anybody that just walks around and says, I'd like to make a claim. I'm without sin. I hadn't met anybody, but I know some people sometimes that act like it. And I know that our heart, sometimes we're so focused on the sin of the politician or the preacher or the president or the, the people on the other side of the aisle or the people that we read about on our Twitter feed. And we're so focused on them and the evil and sin in our world that we forget about the very evil that cuts across our heart. I read this great theological work in Romans and I see that sin affects every one of us. It affects every part of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. And I, I read about those who are darkened and vain in their imaginations. And I start thinking of people and tribes of people or who have turned away from God and the arrogant and the evil. And then I, get, I keep reading Romans and it talks about me and in my sin. And we see Paul in Romans 7 say, I am a wretched man. That's a striking leadership principle to stand up and tell people you're a wretched man. Who wants to follow wretchedness? But if we claim that we don't sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this morning as we think about the Grinch who steals, I want us to think about our heart, about your heart. I have a friend I'm getting to know and I'm glad I'm getting to know him because he's a police officer. And... Sometimes pastors, you know, we work for God. And so sometimes on that mission from God, we have to drive a little fast to serve God. So a little over a year ago, I was uh, at breakfast with this police officer and he told me a secret. He's like, man, because I, I prodded him a little bit. And he said, man, I'll tell you a secret. This is, this is how you get pulled over every time. You have to do this to, to really get pulled over every time. And I know the secret. That was over a year ago. I hadn't been pulled over since. I'm not going to tell you the secret. But here's what will never happen. An officer will never pull someone over and say, yep, you were complying with all of the traffic rules and regulations, but you weren't with your heart. I, I saw on your face how begrudging you were, and it just seemed like you're not joyfully and wholly devoted to the laws of transportation of this land. So I'm going to write you up for failure to comply with peace on our nation's roadways. Like, that's never going to happen, is it, right? I'm being silly, but here's my point in my silliness. Is that human laws, human laws and authorities are concerned about behavioral compliance. God, his greatest heart for us is that we would experience heart transformation. Remember this old promise? Y'all know it, Fonder. We love some of the old. We love the old stuff because it speaks to us today. Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give you a new heart, you Grinch. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. You can feel the words, the life, the teaching of Jesus in this. Foretelling what Jesus would say to religious leaders, you're so concerned about the cleanliness of the cup and your dietary laws and restrictions that you are neglecting the heart. Look, don't worry about all the stuff that's outside that you think is contaminating you. Worry about your heart. Be concerned with what is unclean from within you because all the external manifestations flow from what is inside of you. God desires not for behavioral 
compliance. That's what was happening earlier, wasn't it, with the kids? That's what was happening, behavioral compliance. Stand on the stage, sing the song, yell if you want to, bring some joy to us. Like behavioral compliance, exit off and head to kids land down the hall. When children are young, we are concerned about their behavioral compliance. The way some of you drive and live, I'm glad we do have law enforcement that are concerned about behavioral compliance. But look, my kids are older. You know what you know our concern? Their heart. Their heart that they will want to do what is right, that they will know that they are deeply loved, and that the path of their feet, the actions, the course of their lives will pulsate from within, from knowing that they are loved and saved and forgiven and redeemed. Jesus cares so deeply about our heart. I told you, I asked you to turn to Ephesians. We're finally going to get there. We'll be swift. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we'll read verses 12 through 16, and then we'll dip down a little further in the passage. Y'all ready? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. By the way, let me stop there. Before the 930 service in the gym, I was hiding in a, in a prayer closet, if you will, not so much a closet, but a room. And I was hiding there. And a couple of my friends, Durden Pillow and Jeff Hightower, were just outside the door. They didn't know I was eavesdropping on them. And Durden Pillow goes, man, what's up, Jeff? What you know? What you doing? And Jeff is our executive pastor. He goes, man, I'm just doing what we do. He's one of our pastors. He's doing what we do. What, well, what does he do? What is his job? What is the job of pastors and leaders? Our job is this, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from the whole body, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One of the instructive, helpful metaphors the Bible gives us. All right, so if you're a guest today, we're so glad you're with us. We, we hope you come back. But if you're a member here, a regular attendee here, this verse is for you here in this local body. We're called to be joined together, to be fitted. We are a body. You have a body. Its intricacies and its complexities are beyond comprehension at times. Your heart beats. How many times a day? 108,000 on average. Have you thanked God for that beat today? Just one of them? One of the 108,000? Your heart beats and your blood circulates and your glands secrete, and your glucose metabolizes, and your enzymes catalyze. Um, your endorphins bounce around in your body. Your liver detoxifies. You, you have a head, shoulders, knees, and toes, eyes, ears, mouth, and nose. It's good stuff. God gave you a body. And a body has to, in a word, function. And Paul uses this in Ephesians and tells us in this letter to the church at Ephesus, the first century church of new believers, he says that we are a body, Christ is the head of that body, and we're to be fitted together. We're all important, and the goal is to move toward maturity. But today, today what I want to share with you, what I want to put before you, is that we miss a critical part of the application. 
Look at the next verse, what it says. 26 to 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. A lot of English translations render that word foothold. Tony Evans, a pastor in Texas, one of my favorites, says that when you give the devil a foothold, he'll build a stronghold. And when we let him in a little bit, our bitterness and our resentment and our misplaced anger, we invite him in. We allow him to form a beachhead from which he can accomplish his mission. Do you know the mission of the enemy? It's different than the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is to seek and save the lost. The mission of Jesus is to care for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. And Jesus cares for the marginalized and the least and the lost and the forgotten. And he brings them in. His mission is to bring life, to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. But the enemy, John 10, 10, his goal is what? Say it. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, if you knew someone was hanging on your back porch... And you didn't know who that someone is. And you knew their intention likely could be steal, kill, or destroy. Are you going to let them in any further? You're not going to let them in. But Paul is saying that's what we do. Hey, new believers in Ephesus. Hey, believers in Fondren Church, Advent season 2017. That's what we do. We let a very nasty enemy, an enemy Peter would say to the persecuted church, roars like a, like a lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, what, hug, kiss? No, devour. And this is what happens when we let bitterness and anger happen. We give the devil a foothold. We give him an opportunity that can become a stronghold. It's so misapplied in our world. This is where we miss it. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. Now, I've married a bunch of you. I've stood here somewhere and I presided over your wedding. I see two. Of the, look at the Wilkerson's over there. Brand new baby. How old is that baby? Seven weeks. That baby needs Jesus. Baby needs to repent today. Okay. Is he listening? <laughs> hey, I married Michael and Kelsey. Look at him over there with a brand new baby. I did a lot of your weddings and I guarantee you I quoted this verse. Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is the part I quoted at the wedding. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Where we, where religious people, where people who are concerned only about behavioral compliance, where we miss it, is here in the heart of this, is that we follow Jesus and we grieve his spirit when we don't follow his ways. Paul in Ephesians 5, we won't get there. We'll preach through Ephesians at some point. But in Ephesians 5, he tells us there's a way to walk. He says, long before Aerosmith and Run DMC, he says, walk this way. And he tells us, walk in the light, walk in love, and walk in wisdom. It matters. It matters, follower of Jesus, how we live. And there is no place for these vices, for these traits, and we need to get rid of them. But this morning, in the balance of our time, I want to talk to you candidly about what we do with them, about what we often do. There's three ways that we handle the hurt of our lives. One way is the following. We repress it. We repress the hurt. 
Some of you grew up in a family like this, all right? I'm going to get up in your grill just a little bit, but it was common in your home to sweep everything under the rug. Uh, your family's not an expressive family, likely not an affectionate family. The fighting, disagreeing, anathema. Like that's, you, you just can't do that. My wife and I laugh. There's a skit some of you may remember on Saturday Night Live. Will Ferrell's the dad. You know you're in trouble, right? Will Ferrell's the dad. His wife is across the table. There's a kid, and an, an, a grown young adult kid with a friend, and they are just eating. And, you know, you have those moments in families when there's tension, and then you're, all you hear is not words, but just the clanging, like the knife. And, the, and when we have a, this is rare for us, but when we have a moment where it's just she and I, and we're actually not talking, We'll, one of us will do that. Like we'll clang the fork and you know, we'll make it really loud, exaggerated version of the fact that no one's talking. And maybe there's 10, and we'll just kind of joke and play. And it's a, it's a skit for Saturday Night Live. And all of a sudden, someone will bring something up. They'll raise an issue, mention a concern, talk about something. And they're just yelling at each other, right? They're just yelling random, mean stuff at each other. And then it gets silent. So the powder keg was exploded, and then it's silence. And then you hear the clang, and then boom. And that is how some of us were grown, that's how we were raised, that's how we grew up. Just man, there's something hurtful, there's something that we should deal with, there's a pain or disappointment, but you put it in the closet and you close and lock the door and you don't deal with it. And for some of you, look, this is default mode. How do you deal with hurt and pain? You repress it. And what I want to say to you is the following. Those hurts, they don't go away. They grow toxic. They grow toxic. Consider Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Bitterness does that when it's repressed. You think it's in a closet. You think it's safe. You think it's not going to affect anybody. But bitterness grows. It grows what? It grows toxic. It doesn't go away. It grows toxic. And it causes trouble. Think about a work environment. One of the famous books of the last decade has been the five dysfunctions of a team where there's a lack of trust and there's lack of ability, a lack of inclination to really have real conversations in the workplace. Now, like, look, that's the workplace. How much more vital is it in the home? How much, how much more vital is it in the house of God, in his church, that we would be able, as Ephesians 4 says, to speak the truth in love, that we would not try to be a huge church, but a healthy church, that we would not try to be a large church, but a loving church. God is the one. We plant and we water. Listen to me. If you lead in this church, we plant and we water. What does RG do? Plants and waters. Can I do better? Yeah, pray for me. We'll try to do better, but we are planting and watering. We do not cause the growth. That's God's job. We are called to speak the truth in love. And can I just say this for a second? Like, there are so few who know how to do this. Like, I don't, I don't know another more misapplied passage than speak the truth in love. And some of you know this isn't working. And when bitterness doesn't, it doesn't go away, that hurt, that pain, that betrayal, the words that stung you, the spouse who left you, God forbid, the leader who molested you or abused you or neglected you. Y'all, there's a movement now, a negative one called Me Too. There's a movement called Church Too. And it grieves my heart. And it's real. 
Like we need to validate it's real. There is hurt and there's pain caused by the people that are overseeing us, that are called to love us. And it's wreaking havoc. And this isn't working for us because it doesn't go away. It grows toxic. And it causes trouble and it defiles many. Have you noticed that about bitterness? Like I have to battle bitterness at times. And I battle bitterness toward people who are bitter. Because I'm a pastor, man. My heart is for our people. And I see this. I see that it causes trouble and it defiles many. Anybody want to guess what's the most dangerous, according to the U.S. Labor Bureau, what's the most dangerous occupation out there? The chance in a room this size, somebody may know the answer to this. Most dangerous occupation. Commercial fishermen. You ever watch Deadliest Catch? If you've ever watched that show, you'll know what I'm talking about. These guys are out there on the Bering Sea. Some of the episodes are on the Alaska's Bering Sea where they're catching Alaskan crab fish. Uh, if you wonder why it costs so much at Red Lobster or your fine dining establishment, just watch Deadliest Catch and you'll see. These guys are risking it out there and many of them died. The statistics are unbelievable. You can Google this later and just see how many per 100 die and there's drowning and hypothermia and they're fighting 40 foot wave swells and icy conditions and sleepless nights and they're throwing these 700 pound tubes to catch these Alaskan crab fish and in one episode John this big Polish guy couldn't even begin to pronounce his last name but John injures his hand and his fingers and he's on a this ship with his dudes and what do dudes do when someone gets hurt They tell him to, what, suck it up, right? You're a pansy if you start complaining. And so he doesn't complain. He just sucks it up and he does his job or tries to. And his hand, uh, as the episode unfolds, his hand turns the color of Pepto-Bismol. And it looks like like half a water balloon, not filled with water, but pus. And on, on the deadliest catch, you'll see these commercial fishermen. They sustain a lot of injuries and have no doctors. Sorry, this is the gross part of the sermon. A lot of injuries. Some of you are looking at me with such great disgust. Like, do you hate me now or can we go on? All right, okay. Filled with pus. So the nurse approaches the man whose hand is filled with pus, color Pepto-Bismol, and says, you need a doctor. They must get John, the Polish, ice, Polish fisherman, they must get him to a doctor so that the doctor can cut it open and clean it out and close it back. Now, I have never been in the Bering Sea fishing for Alaskan fish crabs, crabfish rather, probably never will. But I have been called into several meetings. I've been invited to enter into relationships where somebody has been injured and the whole repress it, suck it up, you're a pansy thing, it isn't working. It's not working. In fact, the affection is growing. It's not going away. It has grown toxic. There is another way, very popular, common way for us that we deal with our hurt. This very idea here. We replay. All of you, I mean, it's 2017, about to be 2018. 
All of you, most of you, have stuff recorded on your DVR or whatever the devices are today. I learned at my age I can't keep up anymore. My kids laugh at me every time I mention some technology word. But whatever you do to record or tape things, you have a favorite show, right? You guys, what do you, what do you binge watch or what do you record? Just say it out loud real quick. I can make sure some of y'all are awake. What do you? Okay, good. Y'all must be some pretty dark, demented people. You're not willing to share what you're watching, what you record, okay? All right. I see who we're working with. Love those 930 folks. They are so godly. Anyway, but we, we replay things, don't we? And hear me, if you're a note taker, some of you scribble, like on one side of the page, write favorite movie. And on the other side, write worst memory. And what I'm saying to you is what, what we do intentionally with our favorite movies, we do unintentionally with our worst memories. We replay over and over and over again. And this gives the enemy the opportunity. It gives him the opportunity to wreak havoc on us. Time and time again, we bring it up. Now, for some of us with what I would consider maybe lesser realms of bitterness calling somebody out I'm calling some of you out it's just a joy for you to be bitter because you feel so good to be able to talk about others you got a little bit of information but not a lot and you you repeat it and you talk about it many times over and you feel better about yourself building you up to tear somebody else down and it's sort of a comfort for you to repeat matters but where you've been hurt and where you've been angered, where you've been betrayed, where someone has violated you, left you, spoken harshly to you, you play it over and over and over again. Some of you lead an organization. I will for a moment let you inside the mind of a pastor, this pastor anyway. One criticism can sabotage 10 praises. Anybody with me there? Like one word of hurt. It can drown out. One negative can push out so many positives. Anybody else live in that world where you have to be careful and you have to guard it and you can replay? Because what? You don't, you don't, sing, you don't sing the praises. You rehash and you replay. We're given a better way. It's the way of the gospel. It's the way of following Jesus. Instead of the other ways, instead of repressing, instead of replaying, it's the way of release. It's the giving up, it's the giving over. And this can be very difficult. And for some of you who've been through some of the more painful trauma in life, I want to say to you that the gospel is for you. And that God can be in your most painful place. Truly to join the prophet Isaiah. Beauty from ashes. Beauty from ashes. He can do that. I've seen it. And I'm seeing it. But for you it may seem so trite. In fact it's a little easier to stand in front of a group of hundreds of people. Than it is to sit over lunch or coffee. 
or breakfast with one of you to know more of your story and to say, Robert, man, it's so trite when you say release it. It's just not possible. So for me, I want to say to you today that it is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Joy comes. Joy enters into dark spaces. It pervades into A space that we thought otherwise. When we let go. Look, I I struggle. I struggle. Don't you? To believe that God will take this. Sometimes I've defiantly, inwardly said, you know, I'll, I'll take this one. Somebody's done this to me. Somebody said this. Somebody's operating this way. I'm going to take care. I'm going to take, no, you know, I got this. Before you know it, I'm the Grinch. I'm trying to steal something from somebody. I'm trying to impose my will or my way. And I am bitter and resentful and ungracious and unwilling to forgive and unable to let go of a past hurt. I'm assuming the worst in somebody and playing it over and over again. But I need to release it. Stephen, in Acts 7, look at this real quick. We're closing, about two. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. One of the early martyrs in Scripture. They dragged him out of the city. Man, there was stuff happening in that city. The Jesus movement was all on. They dragged him out of that city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he passed. Notice Stephen. He didn't offer some trite, ah, I forgive you. He's like, Lord, you receive this. You see, there's a release there. There's a release that's saying, you've got this. Really, you're big enough. Father, you forgive them. Now, let me ask you, church, real quick. I love to tie things together. You love it when I do. Where did Stephen, where did he get this from? This is, thanks for saying Jesus. Yep, thank you. He got it from Jesus. Recorded in Luke 23, 24. Same prayer. Same idea. What Jesus is about is what Stephen is about and what the church should be about. We, we're about gospel enjoyment and intentional community and prayerful mission and we follow him. And we move towards speaking the truth and love and being fitted together and building up the body and walking away from anger and clamor and wrath and bitterness and malice and the things that tear down. And we really can release it. So here's a contrast I close with. I want to challenge you in. The preacher is not standing up here today and acting like something has not been done to you. Hear me. But there is on one side what has been done to you. And you've been challenged this morning 
Not to repress it or replay it, but to release it. But here's where it all is. Man, if I had a yellow marker, I would circle the right side. Because by contrast, what has been done to you, there, has been, there is what has been done for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes if you're comfortable doing so? 